Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are really thankful that you're here with us today. We are going to be continuing our conversation about abortion. And as you might recall from our Monday episode, we spoke with Scott White, who did an incredible job educating himself on this topic. And I discovered in our conversation that I was not very familiar with HB 1280, which we're going to talk about in this show. And uh, it was kind of an about face in the conversation. I was like, oh, no, I'm showing my ignorance here. And then I was like, it's okay. I'm not going to say cut. Let's re-record. We're just going to push forward. I'm going to be honest with the fact that I was pretty blind to this new law, which has huge impacts on Texans. So Nicole and I really wanted to educate ourselves and share what we learned with y'all. So we're going to talk about HB 1280. Nicole, this one's crazy. Um, it's <laughs> it's just wild how much it's like, I feel like sometimes this is all about oxygen, like what takes up the most oxygen. And for whatever reason, I too was sort of on the SB8 train thinking that was the thing and somehow not realizing that HB 1280 is, is the one, right? Yeah. Is the one to pay attention to. Um, so yeah, so grateful it came up in our conversation with Scott White, I guess, how couldn't it have come up in that conversation, but man, what an opportunity though to, to learn and we took it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, our podcast in our podcast, we're always encouraging ourselves and our guests and our listeners to challenge their assumptions. And I assumed wrong. I was not informed correctly on what the abortion law is in Texas. Like Nicole, I thought, I thought SB8 was what was going on over here in our state, which is basically that you can't have an abortion after six weeks. So there was like a small window when you could have an abortion if you needed it. Uh, but you can't anymore. <laughs> Newsflash. Um, there are like barely any exceptions. So if you find yourself in a situation where you don't want to be pregnant, you're probably going to have to leave the state or find another means of having an abortion. So we're going to talk about this. Hopefully uh, we'll help give you some information. Maybe you already know about this and you are an impressive human being. But for those of you who are not as aware, stick with us. We're going to untangle it together. I know. I feel like we should start with what we were just trying to kind of decode for ourselves, which is the what is what in terms of what took effect when, what passed when, what trumps the other. um, Yeah. I don't know if we want to recount that for everyone, but it sort of explains why SBA was kind of top of mind for us. Yeah. Well, first, uh, I'll just mention for y'all who want to do more, learn a bit more about our conversation. We grounded our understanding about HB 1280 in this really great article that we read from Texas Monthly. And the article was titled, When Does the Life of a Pregnant Texan Count Under the State's New Abortion Band? By Peter Hawley. And then the subheading is, We Ask for Clarification from 99 Texas Legislators Who Support the Law, Plus the Attorney General Who Will Enforce It. Only One Granted an Interview. 
So this is where we got a lot of our knowledge that we're going to be discussing today. So Nicole, tell us, um, when did what go into effect? And that's probably why we're so confused because it all happened like in the last two-ish years. Yes. And it gets into the the weeds of how laws pass and how they take effect. So, um, you know, quick little disclaimer, we're doing our best here to try to untangle and understand. Um, I feel like we've, we've done the best job that we can do with the information that is accessible. But essentially in the 87th legislative session, well, in fact, special session, um, SB eight was passed. And SB8 took effect more immediately than House Bill 1280 because House Bill 1280 was a trigger law that could only take effect once Roe v. Wade fell. So what that meant, if we rewind in time, is that SB8 um, passed in May of 2021 And then as is sort of the typical timeline for when bills take effect, it went into effect on September 1st of 2021. And so that was the the law of Texas on the books that was actually in effect and enforceable at that point. And then you fast forward a little bit in time to obviously this past summer, um, June of 2022, when the opinion from the Supreme Court was released that um, let us know that Roe v. Wade had fallen. And, but a, and a distinction to make is that there, once an opinion is released, it, it is sort of only the opinion, and it is not until the ruling is released that then it becomes the law of the land. So basically, then there was a space of time until the actual ruling of the falling of Roe v. Wade became um, the law of the land. And so then 30 days after that, the ruling of the fall of Roe v. Wade, 30 days after that, then the trigger law, HB 1280, took effect, which was, oh boy, was that August? August 2022? Yes. Okay. You said August 25th. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yes. so ho- not that long ago. Not that long ago. Hopefully that all makes sense. But it, it it's a lot of like, and then this and then that, and then this has to be in effect and then that, you know. So hopefully we've laid it out in a way that makes sense. But... Yes. Oof. Yeah. So this article was really great because it helped explain that... We are not alone in our confusion. These people who voted for this bill are confused and cannot really articulate the full effects of it to Tex- to pregnant Texans. So I did take some heart heart in that. Like, okay, I'm glad. I, like, this is confusing. I'm not dumb. But they should know what they're voting for. And a lot of them could not articulate that. Um, so now... In Texas, we have HB 1280, which basically means that abortion is banned from the moment of, quote, when a human male sperm penetrates the zona pellucida of a female human ovum, end quote. That's science speak for when fertilization happens. (laughs) 
And it includes an exception for pregnancies that would kill or severely injure the individual carrying the child. So no exceptions if you get pregnant from rape or incest, which typically they carve out in these like very limited abortion laws, but not in this one. So what does this mean? Well, like nobody seems to really know how to implement this on the ground. And there are some pretty heavy penalties if an abortion is performed outside these parameters. And a lot of these um, consequences fall on the shoulders of doctors. Yes. Yes. You want to chime in, Nicole? Like what happens to doctors who mess up? Well, there is a criminal aspect to all of this and a civil aspect to all of this. So on the civil side, it's my understanding that you could be fined at least $100,000. That's the minimum. Um, Could be more. You could lose your medical license and no longer, of course, be able to practice medicine. Um, On the criminal side, you could be charged with a felony. It looks sort of like a minimum. It would be a second degree felony and could be as much as a first degree felony. And that there's all sorts of implications to that because when that starts to play out into actual real life scenarios, it could mean, for instance, in the example of when someone is raped, that potentially that sexual assault perpetrator could be charged with a lesser charge than the doctor that performed um, an abortion for a woman who was sexually assaulted which feels super upside down, but that is the reality of what we are looking at with this law. Yes. And this is something Scott brought up in our conversation. And I was a little bit like, really? And then I'm reading this article and I'm like, really? Oh my goodness. It's, it's bizarre that that's, that's like the, the enforcement we've decided upon that, that somehow this is more severe than that. I don't know. Um, But yes, the article makes it clear that this law doesn't target hospitals, it targets doctors. So as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my goodness, it would be really scary to be a doctor today, particularly an OBGYN who is dealing with pregnant patients day in, day out, because the article also says that um, terminating pregnancies is something that happens for whatever reason, and it's never been an issue where they had to pause and really consider, can I do what's best for my patient um, because they were permitted to do so. Now they have to stop, go before, in some cases, like ethical boards that hospitals have to ask if the abortion would be okay to move forward with because if it isn't, they could be in all this trouble. So it's still like shaking out what this is actually going to mean. And uh, this, the article shares some stories of really bad situations that have already happened with women because of um, the fear it's created. So you want to tell us about some of those ladies, Nicole? Oh, gosh. This is the hard part, right? Yeah. It's the reality of um, of when these sorts of laws have I was going to say unintended consequences. I don't I don't know that I have the generosity to offer that grace right now. But okay. Um there's Elizabeth Weller, her story. She's a graduate student um, living in Kingwood, which is outside of Houston for folks who don't know. 
Her water broke early in her pregnancy. She was 18 weeks pregnant, which um, I think a lot of us know that there are some pretty big markers in terms of your pregnancy and 18 is is early for your water to break, incredibly early, right? And so um, it is largely considered that a fetus isn't viable outside um, of, of a woman's body until at least 24 weeks. So they knew that the viability of the the baby was really low. Um, and so what happened is, you know, her water broke. Another implication that people may or may not know is that once your water breaks, that's, it, it's, you know, it's a membrane that protects you and your baby from infection. But once that breaks, then the risk of infection becomes really high. Yeah. So then the question became, because they could still detect a heartbeat, were they allowed to perform an abortion with the heartbeat still detected and also risking um, infection uh, for both Elizabeth and the baby. So what they had to do was wait it out um, until her infection became severe enough that the ethics panel at the hospital agreed that they could perform the abortion without kind of violating the law as they understood it. So she just had to agonize and, and carry a child that for all intents and purposes, was going to be aborted, but they had to wait until infection was severe enough to warrant that abortion. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure the article says this. I'm trying to find exactly where it is. Um, but basically, they acknowledge, the article acknowledges that the law is black and white, but medicine is not. Does that sound right, Nicole? It does. Um, yeah, that, that these doctors... I think that story and some of the other stories in this article illustrate the fuzziness and the difficult decisions doctors have to make. But it's also this bigger question of like, I kept thinking like, whose life matters? Because like, on the conservative side, you'll hear this argument like, well, we're doing this to protect life too, because we care so much about the life. And I'm just kept thinking like, whose life? Because in some instances, these women are are having to carry out these pregnancies where their life is going to be put further in danger because doctors can't intervene sooner when they should, especially with the high likelihood that the fetus is not going to develop and um, they won't be able to carry the pregnancy to term. So, And it also affects their future ability to get pregnant and have successful deliveries. There, there's a lot of implications. I will say that the next story within the article, Claire, I... It's bad. Yeah. It's, yeah. Do you want to tell us about Marlena? I don't know. I don't know if I can. Okay. So there is another woman I'll I'll share in the Houston area, Marlena uh, Stell. It says she was forced to carry her dead fetus for two weeks after she experienced a miscarriage. And uh, her doctor feared that if he removed it, he could be held in violation of SB8. Um. So it, the article goes on to say the doctor's refusal to remove the fetus place Stell's health and her ability to have another child at risk. And okay, like for anyone who has been pregnant, I, I just having gone through this twice in my life, I can't, I just can't imagine like pregnancy is really hard on you emotionally, physically, like everything. And to know that you're carrying a child, like the, it's not going to be the child you thought it would be like the. She was forced to carry a dead fetus. And that is just, 
so like, it feels so inhumane and so heartbreaking. But again, the doctor couldn't do what he would have done because he was scared of the consequences that these new laws created. And this is, this is what's happening every day now with doctors and their patients and pregnant folks in Texas. Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. That one's a real struggle for me. Yeah. It it said, um, this is like a sad sentence, but I think we need to highlight it. The article says, quote, some doctors who fear persecution to wait, some, some doctors who fear persecution to wait until a patient as a, is at death's door to perform a life-saving abortion, end quote. So yes, these doctors are like, well, what's that moment where when I can intervene because the law isn't clear? And when the author went to go try to get clarity, there was no clarity. And then like Nicole said, you have to scratch your head and wonder, is it intentionally murky so that they pull back so much that we're not giving the medical care we should be giving? Um, and that's why I think more people need to be like, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is not a good law for Texans. Whether you plan to get pregnant one day in your life or not, you know someone in your life who will be pregnant. And this is like they could be looking at this scenario and I can't imagine like the undue tragedy that they're going to have to suffer. Some of them will have to suffer through um, because our lawmakers decided this is what they wanted for us. Yeah. That's a real struggle. I think, um, you know, that if, if the, if what you say is true, that your interest is in protecting life, then we've obviously raised real life scenarios, things that actually happened that are examples of how this doesn't protect life. And if I am feeling generous and I offer grace in terms of maybe not being in full recognition of the consequences of something that you enacted, okay, so if I offer that grace, but now that you know I think that it is incumbent. I think that it is your duty. You are duty bound to revisit the consequences of a law that you support and ask yourself some hard questions. Is this actually protecting life? And if it is not, what guidance, what specific directions are you willing to give to physicians and women and pregnant people so that you can actually protect life? And so I really, really, really hope that in this 88th legislative session that we see clarification around this. I know, and maybe you're about to touch on this, but that Donna Howard introduced a bill, a very specific bill to carve out um, the exception for rape and incest, which feels like the minimum of what needs to happen. Um And I would imagine that she carved that out separately because it seems irrefutable. So surely we could get, excuse me, could get bipartisan support on an exception for rape and incest. And then we, I believe firmly, I'm going to go ahead and put my opinion right out there that we need to have lawmakers who are willing to dive into the hard stuff and talk about these kinds of examples and give guidance on what physicians and pregnant people can 
expect because this is not protecting life. Agree. And <laughs> it's funny, like I thought about, I, I, I think about Brene Brown a lot, y'all. She She's in my head. There's something she said in one of her books that I like to live by and like fall back on, but she says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And I thought about that reading this article, like this law is so unclear and it is just like so destructive because of that. And man, I'm like, lawmakers, you need to be clear about your intentions because people could face real penalties for not following your laws. Like we have to remember here, like laws are created by people and enacted by, in our in our state, in our country, our elected representatives. So let's not forget, we are making our laws. We can change our laws, but our laws really need to affect the will of the electorate. They need to reflect, you know, um, making, ensuring that people can have really great high quality lives. And as we're seeing in this fallout, it's, it's damaging the lives of many pregnant people uh, pregnant women, uh, folks who get pregnant and the lives of doctors. Like, I mean, talk about the life of a doctor. Like what if you're trying to do your best, you're making a decision, like I'm, I'm going to terminate this pregnancy because I can tell that is what needs to happen right now. You get prosecuted, you're thrown in jail. What about their life? It's just like, they feel like they stop thinking through the consequences. And when faced, I mean, I guess, that will remain to be seen when faced with being confronted with the consequences. I am very curious to see if people will rise, if lawmakers will rise to the occasion and provide the clarity that is so desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to shift gears a little bit, the author spoke to some of the folks with the Texas Right to Life Organization and Texas Alliance for Life. These are both groups that are anti-abortion groups. And um, Kim Schwartz, who works for Texas Right to Life, talked about the bill, but she declined to discuss specific scenarios. And I was just like, right, because the specific scenarios are where this gets messy and complicated. And you can have your beliefs all day, but but until like they're applied into the real world, do they really matter? Like, what are these real consequences? Like, I'm not interested in your solutions until you are like willing to confront reality. Well, and I think that there's something Amen. about like, when you, what am I trying to say? It's like, you can still believe what you believe while also confronting the reality of the consequences of something you believe in. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm -hmm. I, if you sincerely believe, you know, in, in anti-abortion measures, I think that I would, I just, I believe you've got to be willing to step up in this moment of seeing the consequences of having sort of, I think what's for some people, this is their lifelong goal to, to see the falling of Roe v. Wade. Like this, they've sort of finally gotten what they had been after for years and years. And now you are confronted with the reality of it. So it is time for you to also take the responsibility for that. Like, I, I, I just don't understand how you can turn away and not yeah. have to like 
stand and go, okay, I do still believe in the preservation of life. When it comes to a situation like, you know, A, B, or C, here is our belief in how that should move forward. I may disagree with you. I, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm, anybody may agree with what that is, but you've, I think you've got to be willing to stand there and face it and answer for it. Mm-hmm. I, I just this like posturing and this like grandstanding about life, life, life. I believe in life. I believe like, okay. And now what? Like right. I just feels, it feels irresponsible. I think that's what I'm trying to say. It feels very irresponsible to not be willing to take responsibility for the consequences of something that you wanted so much. You've got it now. And so how are you going to deal with the repercussions of it? Yes. Um, right. I wish that they would live their values. And, and like, if you're going to get in this conversation, you cannot just step back when it gets messy. You've got to really stick, stay with us and, and keep thinking through the implications and the, and the impacts of it. Um, something else that I thought about reading this article was the, like, what do we do about like miscarriages and stillbirths and we talked about this a little bit in our conversation with Scott White, but those are deemed abortions. Like medically, they're considered abortions. And I think Scott, because I asked, like, what is an abortion? And I think he said something to the effect of an abortion is when the products of a pregnancy exit the body prematurely. And sometimes it's deliberate and sometimes it's not deliberate. So right now, my understanding is that things like atopic pregnancies, um, Pregnancies when the fertilized egg implants outside the uterus and miscarriages are not considered abortions, but <sighs> I don't think it's explicitly laid out in the law, though. I think is the point, right? So there's more gray area mm-hmm. that could have here we go again unintended consequences. Yes, and some of these folks, like this woman Amy O'Donnell from the Texas Life for Life, said health conditions that would require abortions as a means of saving their lives or their long-term health are quote very rare in modern science. But I was like, what are you talking about? Because I'm pretty sh- sure that I read like ten to twenty percent of pregnancies end in miscarriage. So th- I don't know. It's like I I I think she's just not looking at the full picture and. Even if it impacts one person, like we should be thinking about that one person scenario and not making it messy for them. So ah. that's what I was about to say. I feel yeah. like the rarity is beside the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clarify. Yes. Clear is kind. Mm-hmm. Unclear is unkind. Um, so what else Nicole stood out? I mean, this is a long article. It's excellent. Recommend y'all read it. But uh, just as we tie up some thoughts, want to make sure you get all yours in. Well, um, just wanted to point out that the one representative who did respond um, to the reporter was Brian Slayton um, out of, I want to say it's Royce City. In fact, let me just... Yeah, I know he's a pastor and a businessman. That was in the article. Yes. Um, And I actually... Oh, excuse. Well, okay. 
I just found his page and it says he lives in Mineola, which, you know, so I just, I may have to correct where he's from. Um, but that may also be where he was born and not where he represents. So pardon everybody for my confusion around where the part of Texas he represents. Okay. Uh, but my point is he did respond to the reporters and did his best, I guess, um, to offer some clarity around what the law means. Um, it, there was one part where they discussed his reaction to the non exception for rape and incest. And he essentially answered that by saying that, um, he hoped that people wouldn't live with hate in their heart and that they could be forgiving and not bitter. Um, it was, it felt like a non-answer. I mean, I'll, I'll just characterize it that way. That's how it yeah. felt to me. Um, yeah. And so just pointing out that there was one representative who was willing to go on the record. Yep. Hey, kudos to him because what, like the 99 others did not return calls to this journalist. Um, but while we're on Brian's uh Slayton, I will share that he said the main goal of the trigger law, HB 1280, was protecting life, and it wasn't focused on exceptions. And I was just like, <sighs> number one, whose life are we? Are, whose life are we talking about here? Because the life of the mother seems to be very secondary. And number two, how can you not think about exceptions? Again, it's like you you are responsible for all like all Texans, at least that's how I would imagine being a representative. So to ignore the whole picture just feels very, uh, wrongheaded. Yes. And it is, I do recommend that people read it. it there, there's, uh, there's more, obviously it is pretty in depth and there's more to what Brian Slayton said too, that I think people would find really interesting. Um, so, so read it. <laughs> Definitely, definitely read it. Um, there's a lot of great people that, the, that, that this journalist speaks to. Um, he talks on, just brings in a lot of different voices. And um, I don't know, Nicole, like when I finish this article, I have been trying to give folks who consider themselves pro-life the benefit of the doubt most of my life. Like I, I think some of them earnestly believe that they are stopping the Holocaust of unborn children or whatever they say. Like, I really do think that they think that. And yet, as we're having these conversations about abortion and Christian nationalism and the way those are infused, which Scott White describes, I can't help but think they're misguided. And a lot of this, you know, uh, legislating around abortion does come back to power and control, exerting power over women's bodily autonomy. And it, yeah, it's hard because like, I want to be like the both sides ism, but you read this article, you see that these legislators don't really take accountability for what they're doing. And you just have to wonder, is, is this about life or is this about something else? Perfectly put. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly the conclusion that I've come to, right? Yeah. Which is that if, if you have gotten what you wanted, then you also have to be responsible for the consequences of what you wanted. And it feels as if no one is willing to do that part. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what's very frustrating for me. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to keep learning more and sharing what we find out. We're going to update y'all when we're wrong because this is a journey. We're never going to know everything. And please uh, feel, share your thoughts with us on abortion. It is it is something that is like some of the other things we've encountered in this culture war series, complicated, complex, lots of gray space. So we want to know what conclusions you've come to in your lives. Um, and just a reminder, sign up for our newsletter. We share more information there and we really appreciate you listening to the show. Thanks everybody. Thank you everybody for joining me, Nicole Abshire and my co-host Claire Campos O'Neill on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.